Mind 10 Ministries podcast, No Trash, Just Truth, with hosts Chris Paxson and Rose Spiller. At Proverbs 910 Ministries, we are dedicated to taking out the trash of false teaching and replacing it with biblical truth. Welcome, everyone. Chris, we got two pretty exciting things in this episode. First, this is the first episode of our second season. Thank you very much for an exciting and very successful first season. We appreciate it all. And this is the first episode in our new series, Deciphering Revelation. It's a series we felt prompted to do after so many people had been asking, are we in the end times? Lots of excitement, that's for sure. This series, Deciphering Revelation, will be 12 episodes. So that's not enough to do a super intense study, but it should be enough to hit all of the highlights, talk about some important takeaways, and interpret some of those mysterious symbols and images that are in the book. And we're going to refute some false teachings about this book. Very important. And... You'll certainly be able to answer the question, are we in the end times now? So let's dive into the episode. And we've entitled the episode, There's No S in Revelation, and we'll get to that in a minute. Mm. But Chris, even before we get into the text, there's a lot of things that are going to be helpful to know. So let's touch briefly on some of the different camps people find themselves in when interpreting Revelation. How you approach the events in the book of Revelation will influence how you interpret the whole book. So we're going to start with the view that's been called heresy by all credible biblical scholars, and that's the full preterist view. This view believes everything in the book of Revelation, even Jesus' second coming, has already happened. But Revelation 1-7 says this about Jesus' second coming. Behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. Have you seen him? I haven't yet. I haven't I keep either. hoping to. <laughs> oh, me As too. time goes on more and more. Uh, <laughs> amen to that. But no, we haven't seen them, so that's not every eye. And I'm sure there's plenty of you listening that haven't seen them. So this view is complete heresy, and it's not given credibility in any Bible-believing circles. No, it's not. So let's talk about the five views that are considered to have credibility. And we'll start with the partial preterist view, not to be confused with full preterism, which Rose just told you about. Proponents of partial preterism believe that except for the second coming of Jesus and the events surrounding that, everything else in the book of Revelation has already occurred. This view is the main one, at least, that supports Revelation being written before 70 AD and the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple. Right, and we'll get to that in a minute. But another view is the historist view. Historists believe the literal order of the visions in the book symbolize actual chronological historical events beginning with the establishment of the church in the first century all the way to Jesus' second coming. And one that is similar but different to the historist view is the futurist view. You might know this better as dispensationalism. This approach to Revelation was made popular by C.I. Schofield in his Schofield Bible, and it's what the Left Behind series was based on. Like the historists, the futurists approach the entire book of Revelation as literal. But unlike the historists, people who adhere to this view believe that these events won't happen until right before Jesus comes back again. As Dr. Vody Bauckham says, all hell's going to break loose sometime in the future. <laughs> We're going to quote him a few times, we I are. think, in this episode. He's one of our favorites. He is. Then, Chris, there's the idealist approach. The idealist approach subscribes that the book of Revelation is a book of repeating cycles of metaphors and symbols 
that all depict the same timeless cosmic struggle between good and evil, or more specifically between the church and Satan. Yeah, and the last one that we're going to mention is the eclectic approach. The eclectic approach is a fairly new term. Eclectics glean the strengths of the other four credible views that we just mentioned and avoid their pitfalls. Many leading evangelical scholars have embraced this eclectic approach, arguing it provides a balanced approach to scripture. Right. But one thing we can say is proponents of all five approaches agree on the essentials, other than the full preterist view, which we said was completely heretical. But the other five that we just did, they all agree on the essentials in the book of Revelation. That's why they're considered credible. There's no discrepancies in the life and death passages, so to speak, how they're interpreted. It's in the other passages that the differences occur. Now, of course, Chris, every word of scripture is important. It is. But some truths are life and death, like the gospel message, salvation, the sovereignty of God, Jesus's victory over Satan, sin and death and others. Right. We absolutely can't get these wrong. No. There's other passages, though, like the three levels of heaven or head coverings, that even when you put them in context and use other scripture to interpret, you could still get more than one interpretation from Right, them. exactly. Okay, so, Rose, let's move on. It's not just about the approach to the book that there's some discrepancies. There's also disagreement again among credible biblical scholars as to whether the Apostle John wrote Revelation in 95 AD or before the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. It's too long to lay out all the cases for both dates, but for this series, we're going to use the later date of 95 AD. We are. And Chris, it's worth noting that whether the book was written before 70 AD or around 95 AD, First century Christians were being persecuted mercilessly by the emperors and government of Rome. It didn't take much to give them an excuse to torture and kill the followers of Jesus in horrendous ways. Mm. We've talked about some of those ways in other episodes. So whichever date, this is the atmosphere John's writing the book in. He's told in the first couple of verses, which we're going to read in a minute, that he was to write this book to encourage these early Christians to persevere in their faith. Yeah, John was writing about a tribulation that was happening at that time, as we see in Revelation 1-9, when John tells the churches that he's writing to, I, John your brother, and partner in the tribulation. But John also wrote the letter for every church and every Christian throughout history. Tribulation was going on in John's time, it has continued, and it's going to continue until Jesus returns. That makes Revelation relevant for every Christian of every time all the way throughout history. Exactly. So John's exile on Patmos, as well as the martyrdom of all the other apostles, is evidence that the tribulation was already right. occurring. You know, Chris, we always say think things through to the logical conclusion. If you say that the events John is writing about are all still far future to him as dispensationalists believe, you have to concede that God told John to write about some terrible things God's people were going to face for their faith in the future. Meanwhile, John's sitting there, having seen every one of his fellow apostles and other disciples murdered in horrendous ways for their faith, while he himself was boiled in oil and exiled to a remote island. That doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make sense. I mean, can you imagine that? The book is meant to encourage Christians and the church for all time. What will sustain a believer who's being persecuted, no matter when in history it occurs, is clinging to two important truths, the goodness of God and the sovereignty of God. Amen. They also need to remember 
who they serve, and how and why they were redeemed. We're here because of one man who died at the hands of persecution, but who rose again and overcame the persecution and death. This book is meant to encourage us, even in our darkest hours, that we serve the one true God who defeated Satan, sin, and death, who created and sustains the entire universe. We serve the one who's sovereign over every single detail of every single second of every minute of every day of every year. The one and the only one who's completely good and the one who gave his life so that we could spend eternity with him. More and more, I am so thankful he's sovereign over everything. Me too. Okay, Chris, let's talk about why we titled the episode, There's No S Hmm. in Revelation. (laughs) Contrary Hmm. to how many people pronounce the title of the book, and I admit I've been guilty of it unintentionally. (laughs) Exactly. But contrary to how many people believe about this book, it's just revelation. It's not revelation. <laughs> one revelation. One revelation. The entire book is one revelation, not a series of many. It's one revelation from Jesus about Jesus. And this is important because the whole book has one major theme. Like you said, God is sovereign over all, and never will this be more evident than when Jesus returns and brings his already won victory over Satan, sin, and death to completion. Revelation 1, 17b to 18 sums up the theme. Fear not, I am the first and last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Dr. Voin Poitras, a New Testament scholar from Westminster Theological Seminary, had this to say about the book of Revelation. God rules history and will bring it to all its consummation in Christ. If we read this book, Rose, with that point in mind, then we will understand what we need. Mm -hmm. Even if we don't understand or agree on all the details, we will understand the essential truths. The point of Revelation is the same as the point of every other book in the Bible, to point to Jesus as Lord and Savior and to show that he's the definitive representative of God. Amen to that. There's something else that's important to note about the book of Revelation. The book is part epistle and part apocalyptic. It's the apocalyptic language that tends to trip people up and make the book more difficult to understand. And while this language would have been familiar to John's initial audience, It's probably not familiar to many of us, but it could be. It could be if... If we read and study the Old Testament, especially the prophetic books. Revelation has some 500 allusions to the Old Testament. John alludes to almost every book in the Old Testament. He uses Psalms, Isaiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel the most. But there's no doubt that if you have a grasp and an understanding on these books and the whole Old Testament overall... Revelation is going to be so much easier to understand. As we say in our new book, I'm going to give it a plug, The Bible in Six, trying to tackle Revelation without any understanding of the Old Testament is like trying to comprehend calculus without a working knowledge of basic math. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it, and it's an important point. We just finished up a series on the Sermon on the Mount. We said over and over that Jesus did not come to teach something radical or new. He came to fulfill the Old Testament. He didn't come to change the Old Testament teachings. He came to show us how they were originally to be understood. The events in the book of Revelation are an expansion on the quote-unquote day of the Lord that's often spoken about in the Old Testament. Right. And along with the difficulty of interpreting Revelation being an apocalyptic language, it's also made difficult by the attitude some people have towards the book. Some approach the book or maybe won't approach the book because of fear. 
either they're afraid of getting the interpretation wrong or Chris, they're afraid of getting it right. Yeah, and finding <laughs> out what it has to say. Yeah, finding yeah. out there's something horrible in it. Some marginalize the book and don't even think it's relevant to our Christian walk. Martin Luther was guilty of this. But as we always say, every comma, every word, every period in the Bible is important and relevant because it's God's word to us. Yeah, and another problem is people sensationalize the book. Instead of seeing it as a picture book that God has laid out for us to understand his truth in, they see it as some futuristic comic book. (laughs) They treat it like it's mysterious and as if the goal is to somehow crack the code by figuring out precisely what every single thing means. But there are several things in scripture that we can't figure out precisely. Like you mentioned, head coverings for women. That's right. You know, one of our favorite seminary professors, Dr. Sean McDonough, he said interpreting Revelation is 50% orientation and 50% perspiration. I love that. (laughs) Because it's true. It is true. We need to read this book by putting the passages and imagery into context and putting them against other scripture. And that's a lot of work. It is. Scripture interprets scripture, though. That's right. So we have to do that. And that's where the perspiration comes in. It takes some work. But that's really the only way to get the full blessing from the book and to avoid the fear, the marginalization, and sensationalism we just talked about. I think people like to sensationalize it. (laughs) But, yeah, you're right. I agree with all that. For example, understanding Genesis is crucial to understanding Revelation. Genesis is the story of how man's rebellion derailed creation and Revelation is God putting creation back the way it was always meant to be. And... Much of what is in the book of Revelation is driven by the book of Exodus. We will talk about the Old Testament ties as we go through this. But just as an example, the book of Exodus is about God delivering the nation of Israel from slavery in Egypt. When you know the book of Exodus, you can't help but see that the book of Revelation is about the culmination of Exodus. It's God delivering all his people from slavery of sin, Satan, and death forever. Right. Okay, one more important element uh, we want to touch on before we delve into the actual text is that Revelation is full of numbers. It's full of colors too, but we'll hit the colors when we get to them. But as we said before, there are some who interpret these numbers literally because they interpret everything in the book literally. But the numbers aren't meant to be interpreted literally. No. It's symbolic, as in all of Scripture. We're going to go into the details as we get to each passage because it'll be a lot easier, but we just wanted to give a little overview. For example, the number seven is used a lot in the book. The number seven always is used in the Bible to mean completeness. John says 7,000 are killed. There happens to be seven beatitudes in the book. And then there's other uses of the number seven that signify completeness. Complete judgment, complete victory, complete glory. Yep. And the number 12 is also used in this book. 12 is used in the Bible to represent the original 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles. It's also used to represent the complete people of God. Revelation 14 talks about the 144,000 people who have Jesus' name on their foreheads. There's not literally 144,000 people that are saved. You'd think that quota would have been filled by now. I would think so. The number actually means 12 times 12 times 1,000, and it, it symbolizes the complete, complete number of people that God has chosen to save. Right. And speaking of a thousand, that's another number of completeness. We just saw it in the number you gave, Chris, but it's also used when it talks about Christ's reign on earth. And again, we'll go into detail when we get to that passage. And another prominent number is three. 
The number three represents completeness, but in a different way than the other numbers. And we'll, we'll talk about that more when we get to it. Yeah. But in contrast to numbers of completeness, there's numbers that are less than complete. That would be six or three and a half. And these symbolize a shorter period than the complete period. So when Revelation says three and a half years, it's not literally saying three and a half years, but it means a period less than the complete period. This is probably going to be a lot easier to understand when we get to the passage where it's used and we can explain it better. And let's just mention one more number. That's the number four. The number four is used to represent creation. Revelation 7.1 says, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth. In other words, God has complete dominion over all of creation, including the angels, the earth, and the wind. And we'll wrap this up with one last thing before we dive into the first few verses of the book. This entire book is designed to bring glory, honor, and laud to our sovereign God and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Keep that in mind as we go through the book. Amen to that. So let's start reading it. We're only going to look at the first three verses today, which are the prologue of the book. And they say, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him, to show his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. We mentioned earlier that there were seven Beatitudes in the book of Revelation. Here's the first. You read it. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. John is writing to seven churches, and we're going to talk about those in the next episode. Possibly actual churches, but definitely symbolic of the universal church for all time. We're going to talk about this in detail in the next episode, but John is saying that this book should be read aloud in church. And ironically, it's probably the least read book in churches. Absolutely. It probably is. You know, you have to remember in John's time, there were no written copies of the entire Bible. There were scrolls of the Old Testament, and there were certainly scrolls of some New Testament writings around by this time, but they weren't widely available to people. And they didn't have 10 Bibles in their house. That's right. (laughs) That's right. They didn't have 10 Bibles, and a lot of them couldn't read anyway. So when John wrote this letter... It would have been delivered to a specific place and someone would have had the privilege of reading it out loud to the congregation to bring encouragement to the people and to bring them hope because things were pretty dark back then. Yeah, and they might be soon again. Yes, they might be. We see this in the latter part of this beatitude when he says, blessed are those who hear. John's talking about persecution. He was being persecuted at the time of his writing this. He had to watch his fellow apostles, as you said earlier, killed he's seen followers of christ persecuted and murdered and he knows that there's more to come i love what dr bockham says about this he says john has no idea what the future holds he's exiled on a remote island then jesus comes and says i want to show you something and i want you to write it down john knows that it's a blessing to hear this book because it was a blessing for him to hear it right and the last part which says blessed are those who keep what is written With the help of the Holy Spirit, we're to continue on the journey God has intended for us, regardless of how we're being persecuted by the world or by the government. 
We aren't to run and hide somewhere until Jesus comes back because the world is a big and scary place. We're supposed to endure the persecution. Chris, we endure it until we die or until Jesus comes back for us. Right. This is a direct reference back to the Old Testament. In Jeremiah 29, God has Jeremiah send a letter to those who had been conquered and were exiled to Babylon. He tells them, even though they're under terrible persecution and oppression, they should build houses, plant gardens, marry, have children, etc. And we see this theme of perseverance through persecution in Daniel and Ezekiel as well. And that's what we're promised the whole way through the Bible. So we'll wrap up today with this one. One of the overarching themes of the book of Revelation is to show a stark contrast between those on the inside and those on the outside. It's not whether or not we understand everything John shows us, but whether or not we believe and obey what is said in the book. The book shows the decided difference between those who belong to Jesus, who have been sealed by the Holy Spirit, and who would rather die than deny their Lord and Savior, and those who don't belong to Jesus, who've been marked by the beast, those who are concerned about saving their own physical lives. The message of this book is hope and blessing to those who belong to Jesus. Amen to that. I'm going to quote Vody Bakum one more time right, before one more we time. go. He says, if you don't belong to Jesus, then you'll want Revelation to be a code book. You'll want to figure everything out and try to prepare for everything. Chris, this makes sense because if you don't belong to Jesus, it's all about you. Yep. But if you do belong to Jesus, you won't feel the necessity to crack the code, as you said. You know that God has everything well in hand. And how encouraging is that right now? Yeah, exactly. For our part, we just need to have faith, obey, and trust. We should dig into and study all the books of the Bible, including Revelation, because that's a better way to know God. It's a better way to grow in our faith. And we'll be blessed and edified by the words of it. That's a good place to end today, Rose. Thanks for joining us. In the next episode, we will tackle the letters of the seven churches. Just as a reminder, it's not too late to join in on the online Bible study that we're doing on our book, No Half Truths Allowed, Understanding the Complete Gospel Message. You can get the details and join on either our No Half Truths or our Proverbs 910 Ministries Facebook pages. Have a blessed day, everybody.